1: we're in the next three weeks, um, and it's, it's, it's amazing to think that in not next week, but the next week, it will be Resurrection Weekend, and so that's an exciting thing to be looking forward to, and we're kind of leading up to that by looking at John chapter 20, and and the, the, the title of this whole series is Rise, and so what we're going to be doing is looking really verse by verse through this incredible chapter in John chapter 20, and for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at... Um, Three specific encounters Jesus had with people right after his resurrection. Today, we're going to be looking at his encounter with Mary Magdalene. Next week, we're going to look at his encounter right after that, going through chapter 20 of the book of John. He meets up with his disciples. And then on resurrection weekend, Easter weekend, we'll be looking at his encounter with Thomas. Now, here's the deal. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is... It's, it's really overwhelming. It really is. If, if we were to just pause and just to kind of think about it, we would say the evidence really is overwhelming. You've got the stone that has been rolled away, and it was guarded by Roman soldiers, and it was sealed. On top of that, you've got an empty tomb. And we're going to see today that when you look inside that empty tomb, there's some grave clothes lying there undisturbed. And just kind of placed by themselves. And then there's the testimony of angels validating that Christ has risen from the dead. But in addition to that, Christ gives us some evidence that is beyond doubt. He gives the evidence of a personal, bodily, literal, face-to-face confrontation with people. He sees people. He talks to people, when they touch him. They cling to him. We're going to see that. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next three weeks, this encounters that Jesus had with other people. So let's just go ahead and jump into it. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. This is beginning. This is three days. We're going to jump in three days after the, 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 the crucifixion of Christ. He's been in the tomb. Three days have passed, and the first thing that we're going to see, starting in verse 1, is the empty tomb. And that's the first thing that our attention's going to be drawn to, is this empty tomb. So so let's just read this. Now, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So our our text opens in, in this manner, and we're told that Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb. Now, I think one of the first questions that you might ask is this, well, who exactly is Mary Magdalene? That's a good question. I mean, evidently, in the New Testament, first century, there were a whole lot of Marys running around. So who is Mary Magdalene? In the New Testament, there's three primary Marys. you got Mary, the mother of Jesus... You got Mary of Bethany, that's, she had a sister named Martha and a brother named Lazarus, and then you have here Mary Magdalene. She's called Magdalene because she is from the town of Magdala, and just like Jesus was often called Jesus of Nazareth, identifying the Jesus it was from Nazareth, she is indeed the Mary that is from Magdala, and that's how she's called Mary Magdalene. We first really learn about Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of Luke. And what we learn about her, and it's really unique, is that she had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus. And then her response is is quite tremendous. Once these demons have been, she's been freed of this demonic bondage, she devotes her life to following Jesus. And that's what the, the, the text says about her. Now I do want to take a brief moment and and talk about her a little bit more because some of you may be aware of this. Um, There's a lot of people who have an ungodly understanding of Mary Magdalene because they've gone out of, script, not even Scripture, texts written much later who say some things about her that simply is not in Scripture. So there's a lot of people going around thinking really poorly of this wonderful woman. You see, Scripture never says she was a prostitute. But if you were to go to ask the average Christian, they might say, yeah, she was a prostitute. But it's not in in the Bible. The Bible never even implies it. Now, there is a a, a story in the Bible where a woman who is a prostitute anoints Jesus' feet, but that woman's not named, and it's not Mary Magdalene. Her name is mentioned 14 times in the Gospels, and it's a good study to go over. But when you read these 14 times, references to Mary you know what kind of woman she is you know what she did and the thing that stands out about Mary over and over and over again is that she is completely devoted to Jesus she's a model for us to follow in fact in our text today what do we see she is the first one coming to the tomb and that's Mary that's the type of woman Mary was she loved Jesus she was devoted to Jesus And so that's what we see, this amazing woman, Mary, coming to the tomb. And she gets there, and and she sees something that she had not expected. It says the stone had been removed from the entrance. So that was certainly a shock. It wasn't what she was expecting. We'll get to verse 2. She responds to this stone being removed by, it says, So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the, the one whom Jesus loved. Now, in Scripture, in the book of John specifically, the one whom John loved is John the Baptist. Not John, not John the Baptist. Erase that. No, John. John the, the Apostle John, okay? He calls himself the one Jesus loved, okay? So you got Peter, you got John, and said to them, she says this to Peter and John, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb And we do not know where they have laid him. See, she doesn't know what to think. She does not know what to think. She knows Jesus is not there and that he's gone. We do know that she doesn't think he's been resurrected because it says we don't know where they have put him. So so she's thinking somehow that someone has taken this body or done something with this body. And so she's blurting it out to Peter and John. Now, when Peter and John hear this, they take off running. Look at verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going towards the tomb. Verse 4, both of them were running together. So they start running together. This is a kind of a cool picture. But the other disciple, that's John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So you see they're taking off running as fast as they can evidently. John runs a bit faster than Peter. There could be many reasons why, but quite simply, John was younger than Peter. That's what I. That's what it is. he's younger. Okay, he gets there first. So John gets to the tomb. We get to verse five. And here's what it says: and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clo- clothes lying there, but he did not go in. So John doesn't go in, okay? So he runs there, he gets to the tomb, he looks in, maybe John is afraid, maybe he's just being prudent, but he doesn't go in. But it says he stoops and he looks at something. This is important, I want you to see this. This is really important. It says he looked in at the strips of linen... Now, you can underline this in your Bible or the outline because it's really, really insightful. It says, well, in English it says lying there. Now, in Greek it's one word. The word is kai mai, kai mai. In the Greek it means something very specific. It means that these clothes were laying undisturbed and in their proper place. They're not scattered about. The text is going out of its way, Using this word to let us know that something unusual is seen when John looks into that tune they're, they're, they're laying there, "Come i, come i," and that's important that's important because if grave robbers would have come in and grabbed the body, there'd have been a mess everywhere you. Now, I've never robbed a grave, I don't know, but from what I understand and what I've read of other accounts of people who rob graves, you don't take the clothes off the person that you're trying to get out of the grave and nicely fold them and lay them at the side. But we're told here very specifically, this is an important word, kaimai, this this is undisturbed, undisturbed. One other thing I want to share with you, because I, I want to really beat this word in to you. Um, I didn't have time to fully study this, but this word is used other times in Scripture. And it's interesting. This same word was used at the birth of Jesus. Okay, So you remember when Jesus was born, you had the, 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 um, the shepherds, and the angels appear to the shepherds, and they say something really interesting They say, and this will be a sign for you, the angels talking to the shepherds. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying, that's Kaimai, in a manger. I think that's interesting. At the birth of Jesus, you have this baby wrapped, almost like, like shroud or something like that, lying peacefully and perfectly in a manger, and now at the end of his life, you're getting the same kind of picture. His clothes are laying there in the same fashion. It's just painting a, a beautiful picture of the, the, the life of, of Jesus. But that's unusual for John, okay? He looks in, that's what he notes. These, no one's messed with these clothes, okay? These, these linens. Verse 6, here comes Peter. Let's read it. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there. So, so you get Peter. He's still just running as fast as he can. He gets to the tomb down the slope, right? Peter doesn't Now, if you read the scripture, you know, Peter is a man who tends to act and then think. John is a man who tends to think and then act. You see that playing out right here? Peter don't care. He runs right into the tomb, and it says the exact same thing again. Scripture is letting us know. it's beating it in our heads. this word "kai, ki- my." right? Once again, he says it. They're undisturbed. Nothing is messed up here. These clothes are, are laying as though someone has taken them off and maybe even fallen, but, but they're laying there. There's, that's unusual. That's something I did not expect. Not only is Jesus not there, not only is the stone rolled away, but when we look into it, his clothes are just laying there. But, 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 but it gets even more specific. Verse 7, and the face cloth, that's the cloth that would have been over the face of Jesus, which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the linen clothes or cloths, but, oh, come on, it's unusual, check it out, folded up and placed by itself. That's, so so these, this, these clothes are just, just this there laying, and then apart from them is the cloth that was on his head, laying separately and it had been folded folks hey that does not happen by accident. that cannot happen by accident and i'm going to tell you i'm an expert i am an expert on this this does not happen by accident i got a 10 year old son and he's always taking his clothes off and when he takes his clothes off he takes off and he throws them In the 10 years that I've known my son, not one time has his clothes been thrown on the ground, and then when I go in there, they fold it automatically. It doesn't happen. I've never seen it happen. And by the way, Peter and John, same thing. They're saying, I've never seen this happen. Something unusual is going on. question might be, why is the Bible going out of its way to tell us this? Well, simply... It's more evidence of the resurrection. You got a stone rolled away. You got an absent Christ, undisturbed grave, headcloth kind of folded. Every bit of this paints a picture of a resurrection. It's screaming, Resurrection. Screaming resurrection There's nothing in this scene That would indicate anything other than A resurrection and The Bible is hitting it hard Verse 8 Then the other disciple Who had reached the tomb first That's John Also went in So, so John's thinking Okay Peter went first I'll go check it out Church if you can Underline this in your Bible Or in your notes And he, that is John, saw and did what? Believed. What did he believe? He believed in the resurrection. He understood this. We see here John, based on this evidence alone, understands that Christ is alive. He believes from that information, from those clues, from everything that he is seeing and noticing, he believes. But they don't all get there at the same rate. Verse 9, As for yet, they did not understand the Scripture, and that's referring to the others, that he must rise from the dead. Verse 10, get all this information. Then the disciples went back to their homes. That's a powerful, powerful picture. It just jumps out, just starts hitting us hard. We see the empty tomb. Now, the Scripture is going to take kind of a a shift and have a different scene and we're going to see the weeping woman. The weeping woman. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept she stooped to look into the tomb. So now the focus is on this amazing godly woman Mary and she had been outside the tomb, and she had seen this happen. John and, and Peter go in and, and leave, right? But she stoops in, and she looks, but she's just heartbroken. She's devastated. I want you to notice there's a word in that verse used two times. It's this word, weeping. It's an important word. In the Greek, it's the word kleo, or cleo, klio, cleo. It means a constant, unrestrained sobbing. I mean, it's not just a tear. It's just not a casual cry. This is unrestrained sobbing. It's the same word used in Matthew 26, 75. I know know most of you are familiar with this scripture. Peter denies Christ. The rooster crows. And it says this, And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. And he, that's Peter, went out and wept bitterly. That's Clio. That's this uncontrolled, this bitter, this just crazy type of unrestrained crying. And that is what Mary is doing. That's the picture we have here. Now here's the question that we want to start to tackle because it's going to be mentioned several more times. But here's the question that we need to ask ourselves right now. Why is Mary crying? The reality is she has nothing to cry about. Right? It's actually a time to celebrate. It's actually a time to be full of joy. Christ has risen. Satan, sin, and death have been defeated. This is a time to rejoice not cry. But she does. She doesn't see it. She doesn't get it. And here's what I find interesting and what we've just read. Like you you got John. He saw the same evidence that Mary has seen, but it says John saw the evidence and he believed, right? The exact same evidence. Mary sees the same evidence and it leaves her crying bitterly. Now, they both loved Jesus, both saw the same evidence left by Jesus, but one leaves believing and one is left crying. The question that I've been asking myself the last couple of weeks is, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Here's the conclusion. Here's my conclusion. I think it's the right conclusion, but here's my conclusion. John has an accurate understanding of what's going on. He has an accurate view of Jesus and what Jesus is doing, and the result is he leaves believing. Mary, she loves Jesus, but at this point, she does not have an accurate view of Jesus or what Jesus is doing, and the result is it has left her in this weeping, this bitter weeping. We're going to talk about this some more because we're going to see this question come back up two more times. But I would say this, it's the same today. This same dynamic happens today. I would say there are a great many Christians who become distressed or have sorrow or they're worrying, not because they don't love Jesus. It's not because they're not devoted to Jesus, but it's because they don't have an accurate view of Jesus and what Jesus is doing. And I would say the Grand picture is this. It matters what you think about Jesus. matters. Because it's going to determine a lot about the way you feel and how you act. Our desire, what we're aiming for, what we want, what I want, this is what I pray daily for myself, is I want my thoughts on Jesus to be consistent to or close to how Jesus has actually revealed himself. Our thoughts on Jesus, Jesus needs to match the actuality of Jesus. And if your thoughts on Jesus do not match the actuality of Jesus, it can lead to pain, sorrow, and frustrations. We want to think correctly about Jesus. And everybody will probably say amen. We do want to think accurately about Jesus. How do you do that? Well, he has left a really detailed account of himself in the Bible. But I find most often that people have an inaccurate view of Jesus because simply they're not reading the text. But we're going to get back to this. We're going to get back to this question in a moment because Jesus brings it up. But let's get to verse 12 before we get to the question again. So she's looking in. Another unusual sight, verse 12. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at his head, one at, his, at the feet. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's an odd, 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 odd picture. It's just kind of an odd picture, right? You've got two angels sitting at the head and the foot of where Jesus had lain. Now, um, she didn't know they were angels. She didn't recognize them. In fact, in Mark, they're called young men. and Luke, it just says they're two men. But John lets us know that they are, in fact, angels. And what's really kind of interesting, if you're reading that, it's interesting that we're giving the exact location where these two angels are located. It's kind of odd, huh? What's going on there? What would God have us know about himself? Because he has revealed to us that two angels are sitting, one at the head and one at the foot where the body of Christ has, had, had lain. Well... God is trying, or he is teaching us something. He wants us to see something. We're going to go old school real quick here. We're going to get into the Old Testament, because this is really important. In Exodus 25, God instructs the people of Israel how he wanted them to build the Ark of the Covenant. All right, The Ark of the Covenant, you can go read about it, but it's, it's this golden Box, all right, that was kept in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. The most holy places where the Ark of the Holies was held. On top, so you had this box, all right, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was what they called the mercy seat, all right? The mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would take the blood of a sacrifice, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, and that was where God met man. In other words, by the shedding of blood, the faithful shedding of blood in the act of faith, the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle blood on this mercy seat. In the Old Testament, all right? And you say, that's cool, that's cool, why are you telling me this? Okay, what you've got to see, guys, what you've got to see is what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. I'm going to read this to you and i am fully prepared for some minds to get blown because this blows my mind all right and i think some of you will be in the same place i am look at this exodus 25:17 this is a description you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold 2 cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth and you shall make two cherubim that's angelic beings of gold uh, angelic beings of gold of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat, make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. And of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherub on the two ends. I've got a picture for you. Let's see the picture. Is that not just what Mary, described? Are you telling me thousands of years before the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God made, had the people of Israel build a picture of the tomb and the seat that Christ would raise from the dead in? Are you telling me that this very mercy seat that was held in the Holy of Holies the very mercy seat that the children of Israel would lead before them when they went to battle. The very mercy seat, the ark, that when the, the, the priest stepped in the Jordan River, the river stopped. The very, the very ark that whenever it was held or placed in someone's home that loved God, their whole house would be blessed and they would prosper. The, you know, there's, a, there's, a guy, there's a guy who accidentally touched this and he died instantly. It was so holy. You're telling me that Ark of the Covenant is a picture of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. 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 Hey, guys, it's always been about Jesus. It currently is about Jesus. And it will be forever about Jesus. You cannot talk enough about Jesus. You can't. But it gets even better. Exodus 25, 22. Check it out. This is what God says. There, I will meet you. Okay. So where did God meet men throughout the Old Testament? He met them between two angels on the mercy seat where the blood of a sacrifice was sprinkled. Now, since Jesus Christ left the tomb, where does God meet men? The resurrected Jesus Christ. As though this was some accident. In the fullness of time, the Bible says. It's powerful. Now the angels speak to her. And they ask the same question that I brought up just a moment ago. They say to her, Well, let's just read it. Verse 13 They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? This is the question, really, why are you weeping, Mary? Christ is alive. You should not, you ought not be weeping. You should be rejoicing. Why are you crying? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they had laid him. She still doesn't get it. She still doesn't have an accurate view of what Jesus is doing. Now, here's the deal, though. She still loves him. She loves him deeply. Look at this. You've got to check this out. If, okay, even though her understanding of what Christ is doing right now is inaccurate, look, notice, she doesn't say the Lord. She doesn't. Look, she says, my Lord. What have they done with my Lord? I was thinking about this. I've seen this multiple times. Maybe it's happened to you. Like, I've seen guys who didn't know Jesus, loved Jesus, Right? And they could be in a conversation with other non believers, and someone could talk some smack about Jesus, right? And they're cool with it. Then I've seen those same guys, God save them, and he becomes their Lord. And then he'll be in the same conversation, and they hear someone talk about Jesus negatively, and immediately they get upset. What's the difference? Before, he was just some guy, now, he's my Lord. That's my God you're talking about. That's my Savior you're talking about. That's my hope of glory. And, 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 and it's the same here with, with Mary. She says, it's my Lord. I don't know where my Lord is. She is a, mo- church, I want you to see that Mary is a model for you and I. She has been out of fellowship. She has not known where the body of Jesus is at for maybe I don't know, 10 minutes, 15, 20, 30 minutes. I don't know, not long. And it results in her weeping bitterly. I pray that we do that. I pray that for me. I pray that I would be a man, and that we'd be a church, that if we're out of fellowship with Jesus, for a moment we would weep bitterly. But far often, we don't, For all, man, far, far often I am so surprised about the things we don't weep over. I mean, really? Who does this? Have you seen this? Have you run into a man or a woman who's been out of fellowship with Jesus or miss church or something like that, and they're just weeping? But that's Mary. We're to have a heart and devotion like her. It is no small thing to miss the assembly of believers. It is no small thing to be out of fellowship. It is worthy of this type of weeping. now we're going to get to verse 14 and we're going to look at the resurrected Christ. Oh, he's so amazing. Verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Um, Evidently, when she asked the angels the question, they didn't respond. It appears that she has turned around. As she turns around, she runs into to Jesus. But it's, it's curious because it says she didn't recognize him. Now, rightfully so, that's a little bit odd. We can say that's odd. How is it that she ran into Jesus face-to-face and she didn't recognize him? Um, she knew him well, so it seems a little odd. Now, you can read all sorts of books. You can read all sorts of commentaries. There's a lot of different explanations. One, would, one says, I have some of the explanations. Well, she had hair in her eyes from crying. Maybe so. Others say that her eyes were so um, maybe swollen from the tears she didn't recognize him. Some would say she had a lack of faith. And, and it goes on and on and on and, and whatever. The truth is... We, we don't know. We don't know why she didn't recognize him. There's other instances in the New Testament where Christ reveals himself to people and they initially don't recognize him. So I'm not going to speculate. I don't know if it's helpful to speculate. But there's two truths that I want to pull out real quickly. Two things we can see here. First, it is impossible to recognize Jesus apart from his own disclosure of himself. Two, and this is the one that this gets me hard when I read this, Just because you do not see Jesus don't mean Jesus ain't there, right? So we won't sit on that, why she didn't recognize him. But Jesus is going to say something to her. He's going to ask her the same question. Jesus said, verse 15, to her, Woman, why are you weeping? The Bible wants us to see this. Guys, he does, because it's asking us over and over, why? Why are you weeping? re weeping, because once again, this is a joyous time. It's not a time to, to weep. And then Jesus asked her a second question. Whom are you seeking? That's another great question, it is, right? Who are you seeking? It could be that you're seeking someone other than Jesus. That's why you're not finding Jesus. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Once again, you see her devotion. She doesn't understand what's going on. She thinks the body has been stolen or something, but she loves him. She's devoted to him, and now our Savior is going to reveal himself to her in the most tender and loving ways. I would say this is probably perhaps the most intimate and loving Revelation of himself to another person is to Mary. Verse 16. This is powerful, guys. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic. This is important. You can underline Aramaic because I won't talk about that in a moment. Rabboni. John, translate what it means into Greek, which means Teacher. This is beautiful. Jesus says one word to her. Immediately she has a right understanding of what's going on. Immediately her sorrow is turned into joy. One word. What's the word? Her name. Jesus calls her by name. But here's what I want you to see. He doesn't really call her Mary, guys. Mary is the English word translated from Greek. But he's reading in the, the text, the original text. It's Aramaic. It, it's Aramaic. He said Miriam or Miriam. And that's important to us. Jesus spoke to her using the name that her parents called her. He used the name that her close, intimate friends called her. He used the name that he had always called her. He calls her by name. There's two powerful things that we need to see in this. One, there's mission implications in this. Jesus is speaking in her language, in her culture, in a way that she will hear in order to reveal himself to her. It's incumbent upon us as a people, as we're going to all the people groups and all of the nations to know their culture, know their language, not because it's cool to learn another culture, not because it's fun to learn another language. By the way, I've told you this. This is just me. It's not, I have spent a lot, a lot, a lot of my years of life have been spent learning other languages for the purpose of speaking the gospel, specifically Swahili. None of it was enjoyable. People ask me, I mean, learning it wasn't enjoyable. I have, it was rough. People ask me, why'd you do it? Because my God called me to share the gospel to a people who speak Swahili. Therefore, I learned Swahili. And some of you will too. Maybe not Swahili, but I pray you learn another language in order to spread the gospel. But that's tremendous mission implications. But the second thing I want us to see about this, it shows that Jesus is not a far off and removed God. He's personal. He's loving. He's caring. He speaks in ways that you can hear. He uses your language and he speaks to you. Now someone might say, well, cool. How in the world is it that Mary would recognize Jesus just because he said her name? Write this one down. John 10:3, brother. That's how the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the good shepherd, it says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. John ten three, man, it's in the Bible. That's how it happens when he calls your name. And then we see again. She responds in Aramaic. This whole thing is kind of an Aramaic conversation. Her language, Raboni. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about Raboni. It gets confusing. When you have an Aramaic word, translate it by a Greek man, and now we've translated it back into English, okay? John chose to translate, by God the Spirit, Rabboni as meaning teacher. But the reality is, the word in Aramaic, Rabboni, is more than just a teacher. It's a fuller word, it was seldom applied to a person and most frequently used to address God. I don't want us to miss this. Right here, when she says "Raboni," Mary is acknowledging that Jesus is God. She got it. Just like John got it, now she got it. And as soon as she gets it, uncontrollable joy. As soon as her thinking is correct, as soon as her understanding of Jesus is correct, Accurate, at that point, there is uncontrollable joy. Instantaneously, she goes up, she starts hugging Jesus, clinging to Jesus in an unrestrained manner. She cannot contain herself. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. When you read that, you can you can just picture it. You can picture this woman who loves Jesus, who had just been weeping is now uncontrollably just has this joy and she's hugging him and she's loving him and she's just clinging all over him. Jesus is saying simply, I believe in this text, he's saying, slow down, Mary, slow down. I'm not going anywhere right now, right? I haven't gone to the Father yet. There'll be plenty of time for this, okay? I am going to ascend to the Father. He will in 40, he's going to be there 40 more days, but he's saying, just slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. I've not gone to the Father yet, okay? I've not gone. He is going to go, and he is going to send God the Spirit. But at this time, he's just saying, slow down, right? He's got something for her to do. Look at this, verse 17. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father, mean, he is going to go, and your Father to my God And you're God. I need you all to please listen to me right now. I know some of you are like, maybe not be listening. I'm sure you all are, but if someone's sleeping beside you, wake them up because you got to see this. Something tremendous just went down and many people miss it. Circle that word brothers in your text. Up until this point, Christians, disciples, had never been called brothers. They had been called friends, and they had been called servants. Something amazing just happened. The relationship between us and God has changed. Something something incredible has just transpired. This signifies a new relationship with Christ, and it's altogether amazing. This is the first time Jesus calls us brothers and sisters right here. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he he had said these things to her. (laughs) That's an amazing morning. I I don't know if you can imagine Mary running in wherever they're at, Bursting in, saying, I've seen the Lord. And she tells them everything. And this is a changed woman. Remember when they left her, she was crying. And now she shows up and she's happy. She says, I've seen the Lord. And that's her testimony. And I want to end this way by saying this. That's our testimony, right? Like, like we, don't, we, don't, we don't go out and tell people... I read the Bible, I agree with the Bible, so that's it, right? No. man. I've experienced this God. I've experienced this Savior. I know this Savior. And it has led to this this unexplainable, this uncontrollable joy. And I want to tell you about it. I want you to know what I know. And that is indeed what Mary did. First, we see Mary Magdalene. Now Jesus, next week, is going to look and talk to the disciples. We'll look at that next week. Just a review of the evidence so far. Stone rolled away, empty tomb, grave clothes lying undisturbed, testimony of angels. Now we've got Mary Magdalene's testimony. But Jesus isn't done. He's got more. And next week we'll see that.
0: Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast.